Welcome to Edie's Big Brexit Questions podcast, episode two. This is a series of mini podcasts in which we, Edie's editorial team, will explore the ramifications of Brexit for key areas of the green economy in 15 minutes or less. This is our second episode in what will be a six-part series, each covering a different part of the economy or issue which is set to be impacted by our exit from the EU. Our first episode covered resource management with Libby Forrest from the ESA and is on our site now if you would like to listen. For episode two, that's today's output, we are touching on natural capital, possibly the most hotly debated issue surrounding post-Brexit legislations. For this discussion, I'll be joined by Friends of the Earth Senior Sustainability Analyst Paul De Silva, who can shed some more light on what has been happening across the field since the vote, where we stand now and where we're going to go, regardless of which exit scenario plays out. Thank you so much for joining me today, Paul. How are you doing? I'm very well, thank you very much. As we've said, you are the Senior Sustainability Analyst for Friends of the Earth, but could you give a bit more insight into what you do there and how long you've been there and what that has to do with Brexit? Yeah, so I've been at Friends of the Earth for, for many years, actually. I've never quite imagined becoming a, a, a job because <laughs> I, I used to kind of campaign locally in my community, but that's led to me working on lots of different things, local planning issues, transport, energy issues. And one thing led to another. I started working on kind of overseas issues such as rainforests. Climate change obviously became a big issue and we were trying to work out what that meant and and how that affected daily lives and policy and decision-making. And to bring it up to date, you know, I... I help devise policy and respond to real-world events with policy positions and ideas about how Friends of the Earth as an organisation can take a lead on those things. So there's a lot of engagement with government. There's a lot of discussion with our networks of community volunteers around the country, but also overseas. And there's kind of putting that down in writing in order to brief colleagues and others, and also other NGOs as well. So it's looking across the whole piece of issues, so you can get into quite a lot of detail on mm-hmm. just one issue, anything and everything really, mm. but trying to do it through the lens of what Friends of the Earth stands for, which is the kind of sustainable, joined-up agenda, equity, social progress, sound economics, and, um, and environmental sustainability. Mm. And then just narrowing it down specifically to, as you talked about, the environmental conservation aspect, which has been dubbed natural capital by some, what do you think has happened in this area in regards to um, businesses working on this, NGOs working on this uh, since the vote? So we've been seeing lots of new um, initiatives launched, including the natural capital finance initiatives in Manchester and Scotland, but this is probably the area which we've seen the most worries over policy weakening in as well. Yeah, the, the Brexit debate's an interesting one because it's brought to the fore lots of questions about the UK's role. Government's talked about a global role for Britain. I think that's laudable, but uh, the way the Brexit debate has tended to go has, has been characterised more by inward looking. I, I, that doesn't mean we can't be outward looking, but it, it, the nature of the while the needs of society have been going on and natural capital has has kind of grown as an idea and people are are working out what it means for them. And I think the question is, does it mean that 
nature will be restored and ecosystems improved, or will it just be more of the same erosion and destruction of natural processes that we've seen? So is it the UK has embraced natural capital thinking quite a lot. A lot of companies and organisations are thinking about what natural capital approaches mean for them. It fundamentally comes down to whether things are going to get better or not. And we can spend a lot of time working out clever mechanisms and processes to work out the value of nature. But if it doesn't actually lead to tangible improvements in how we're protecting nature and how we're restoring its condition, then it will just be uh, another exercise. So I think government and others institutions need to work that through and think that a bit more. What's the prime motivation for this? Mm. And how does that play out if the UK does want to have a, a truly a leading and global role? I think other nations look to the UK as, as leading the charge around the whole debate about natural capital right. and flows of money, partly because you know, the London and the UK being a financial centre, but also because the UK still has uh, important role to play in leading global debate on, on certain things, whether at a U, UN level or a Commonwealth level. So it's important that it gets it right. And then thinking of, of the people that are at the forefront of either what could be the degradation of the environment or the conservation, so that's yourselves, the NGOs, and probably everyone working across um, the agricultural sector as as well how have you responded um to brexit for example have you have you or have you noticed that other bodies in this sector have asked for clarity new regulations for example i think frankly it has always seen brexit as a, a a real test of whether the uk would dilute and water down its its environmental conditions the uk government would say no we've been very clear about that not being watered down i think that still has to be tested. We took a cautionary position regarding the whole referendum and said, well, you know, a lot of the important changes for our environment have come because of Europe. And before the UK was required to step up and meet certain standards, whether it's on air quality or water quality, uh, dumping of waste at sea, things like that, the UK really was the dirty man of, of, of Europe. And there wasn't a great deal of domestic pressure and legislation coming which would have improved that. So being part of the European Union helped drive a lot of that. That doesn't mean Europe was perfect by any means. There are lots of problems with with some aspects of policy, particularly in terms of farming and the drive uh, for production and, and uh, heavy subsidies for doing very little environmentally. And certainly the fisheries policy uh, has, has been found wanting and hopefully being improved. But, you know, at least a lot of what Europe was saying and doing, and the way it was operating at the global stage as well, on the global stage in, in terms of renegotiating and leading on things like climate and renegotiation of the biodiversity targets for 2020, then it, it was a force for good. But, you know, Britain has voted. We, we wait to see what exactly will happen. And the question is, is Britain going to stick to standards? And is it going to try and exceed what is currently the situation regarding mm-hmm. a whole range of standards at European level? Or is it going to fall prey to some pressures who, frankly, still do want to see regulation cut and standards reduced? The government has to decide whether it's going to stand firm on that.
Um, when you think of business communities that rely really heavily on this natural capital, so we've touched on on the agricultural sector, but also people that are sourcing raw materials outside as well, they'll be suffering from this lack of clarity as, as well at the moment. So how do you think they are viewing environmental issues and focusing at the moment? Is it a case that it's alignment with the 25-year plan or waiting to find out more about what happens with Brexit or, or something else? I don't think Brexit has seized everything up. The impression is very often we sometimes say, I mean, take a big deep breath and go, oh, you know, don't mention Brexit. But there are some things that are happening. It's very difficult dealing with government because it's so tied up with Brexit. And although we are trying to have conversations with a whole bunch of issues with government departments, actually, you know, you can see they're almost going through the motions on some of these things. I think the 25-year plan is an interesting one because it took a long time to come out. It was promised in 2015. It only came out in 2018. And we're all, you know, we're, we're a year and a half into the 25-year plan and we're still lacking a lot of detail. In terms of farming, government has given commitments about support to, to UK farmers uh, for the foreseeable future. But the question is, has what the UK government in the form of Mr Gove, Michael Gove, has said about switching to a new system which rewards environmental action far more than the previous environmental stewardship schemes goes. I think it has been interesting to see how some of the big players on the UK farming scene, such as the National Farmers Union and the uh, Country Land and Business Association, have greeted that whole proposal and how a lot of the messaging and and kind of language coming out of organisations such as those has switched from being quite oppositional to accepting the fact that the evidence is in that the way we currently produce food and farmland is damaging and is responsible for driving quadrants of the environmental decline that we are seeing. How that has shifted slightly, I still think that we're waiting to see the detail, the nuts and bolts that's needed behind what any new system would be. So... A lot of that rests on what will be in the government's bills on agriculture, which is part of, you know, the parliamentary process Mm -hmm. that that is gummed up at the moment because of Brexit. A lot of it will be in the environment bill, which is also quite important. Going to be a big bill, needs to be got right if if the 25-year plan is going to get on track and deliver. And the fisheries bill, of course, as well. So some really big, important things which are environmentally driven that are Brexit-bound. They are related to the direction that the UK wants to take, and they are environmentally-based issues. I still hear people saying, well, you know, the environment is a marginal issue. Well, it isn't, because it's absolutely fundamental to the quality of life and the way in which economies and, and different sectors of the economy operate, and that will be seen through these bills, environment, fisheries, agriculture, when we get to them. But I think a lot of people, organisations, are trying to put in the work and to try and think through what's needed to get on track for the kind of, you, you know, it's easy to swat it away and think it's not important and we just need to get Brexit process done. But I think a lot of the public debate is there are a lot of issues that need to be tackled, but there just isn't the attention or the, the money and the wherewithal from government to really to deal with them. So big questions like how are we going to get back on track on carbon emissions? oh, how are we going to restore nature and make up for the lack of progress towards the biodiversity targets of 2020? And if we are going to do that, then, then when do we start? You know, or do we have to wait 
until everything is signed, sealed and delivered with a Brexit bill. Certainly I'm talking to lots of organisations who are desperate for some clarity and, and progress and, and attention span from government. And it's not entirely clear how that will play out. I think different sectors of the economy are trying to work it out for themselves, but a bit more leadership from government would would not go amiss. And not just grand statements, but some real practical policy that actually starts to shift the shift the problem, give a give a kind of true lead to what's needed. Mm. And you talked about there how a lot of these bills that are coming up are bound by Brexit and perhaps should and could be embedded into our exit. But thinking of all the scenarios that are on the table now, what do you think is likely to come and what would that, in your opinion, mean for our environment? On the basis that the UK is going to leave the EU, we need the agriculture, environment and the fisheries bills to do what the government said they needed to do, which is to, to be gold standard in, in terms of environmental standards. That also has a bearing on the trade issue and the trade negotiations that the UK ends up striking. So this is where one of the tensions comes to pass, real politic, if you like, because there are, as I said earlier, there are uh, forces out there who are still trotting out the idea that we can improve the environment by reducing standards and and it'll all be okay. And so when push comes to shove, if the UK is weak and decides that it wants the US trade deal so much that it will weaken standards in order to secure that deal, then that will you know, that will be an asset test. That will be a major major point, I guess. Getting those bills absolutely right so the UK can get its domestic environmental policy right, but, but also as a way of, of taking the global to leadership that Michael Gove and others have talked about. And that will come under scrutiny when it comes to what does that mean in terms of trade deals that trade departments end up trying to uh, strike. It doesn't have to be just the US, it could be Australia, Canada, wherever. But, you know, if those environmental bills are seen mainly as uh, dealing with domestic policy and have nothing to do with the UK's position in the world and its leadership role, then I think they're mistaken. So there needs to be joint up there. I think that is going to lead to renewed concern and, and debate. I think all the, all the parties that are currently in Parliament need to wake up to the importance of those ills and getting them absolutely right and, and not letting them be weakened. And it will be interesting to see what kind of alliances come out of that. I've seen some shifts within the farming, the large farming unions uh, language, which I think overlaps with a lot of what we've been saying for a long time as well. So we're not necessarily always need to be um, in the same bed as the National Farmers Union, but you know there could be there could be some really good positive stuff there. For example, you know if we think that UK farmers need support in order to shift to more sustainable ways of farming, and that doing that is so good uh, in terms of improving soil or dealing with floodwaters or improving nature and biodiversity across our landscapes, that has some kind of price tag attached to it, then I would be inclined to say, well, we shouldn't just be talking about supporting farmers with the current level of subsidies they get under the European Union Common Agricultural Policy cap, but that that probably warrants um, a larger figure rather than the same or less. And, you know, that, that would be a good way of paying up front for costs that we, we avoid paying in the future approach. And that's a natural capital approach if you like, is valuing something properly, paying for it up front so you don't have to pay more costly.
Mm. Well, I suppose only time will tell for that, but fingers crossed. And speaking of time, we are now out of time for today's episode. So a big thanks to Paul for joining us today. Thank you, Paul. Terrific. Thanks.